Welcome to Talking Biotech, the podcast dedicated to exploring the latest advancements in biotechnology, sponsored by Calabra, the R&D software that accelerates scientific discovery with AI. Each week, we'll dive into the latest innovations and discoveries with industry leaders and pioneers. Now, here's your host, Dr. Kevin Fulta. I want to see science serve a useful purpose to improve the standard of living for all people. Why is anyone fighting food advance? A very small percentage of the world's population is fortunate enough to have the luxury of turning down food. We've arranged a society based on science and technology in which nobody understands anything about science and technology. You can't build a peaceful world on empty stomachs and human misery. You're listening to Talking Biotech, a weekly podcast illuminating issues in agricultural and medical biotechnology. Your questions and concerns are addressed using a science-based approach with the goal of driving discovery to application with communication. Now here's your host, Dr. Kevin Fulton. Welcome to the Talking Biotech Podcast. It's the weekly podcast where we talk about issues in medicine and agriculture with an emphasis on biotechnology and the good things it can do for people and a planet. I'm Kevin Fulta, and today we're going to do our year in review. It's our original idea, right? <laughs> um, we have today the other host of Talking Biotech, Paul Vincelli. Paul, how you doing? Hey, I'm doing great. It's really good to be talking to you, Kevin. We, we, we hear each other a lot over... Uh, the podcast, but uh, actually don't talk very much. So it's it's great to be able to uh, close out the year with you uh, this time. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. I mean, it was it was so much fun when we got to get together in Guelph this year. Yeah, yes. And, like we, it, and it, it's always fun when you uh, you have a lot of interaction with somebody, and you know, like Paul's a huge contributor to this really important podcast that that both of us really are excited to do. Yet Paul and I never met in person until that's June right. of this of 2017. That's, that's right. Yeah, we had we've had quite a bit of interaction uh, uh, digitally uh, until then. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty cool. So. So, but the idea of today was we thought, well, wouldn't it be a great idea to be able to sit back and think about the last year, plan for next year, and uh, share some of our thoughts with the listeners? And uh, one of the big areas that's ex- particularly exciting has been the growth of the podcast. And at the beginning of the year, I think we we're talking about maybe 1,500, 2,000 downloads a week. And now we're looking at somewhere around um, 6,000 downloads a week. Yeah, yeah, that's that's really wonderful that for there 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 to be that much growth and uh, yeah, you and I are both excited about that. We we're glad to know. I think we can say we're glad to know that people. Um, Appreciate the program. Well, I think you and I have a bit of a uh, an amusement about it. It's it's uh, it's done by the scientists. There's no audio engineering, you know, <laughs> beyond what Kevin does. But we're scientists. We're not uh, professional, uh, you know, radio people and all that. So it's kind of fun. And I think our listeners are generally tolerant of our our, our, our of our goof ups and and uh, you know we have fun with it. So. Yeah, that was one of the um, comments I got this year is that one of the things they really enjoy about the podcast is that it's not very professional. Yeah. yeah exactly. <laughs> it's like the old complisalt, you know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, but that's, that's, um, but the main idea is, is that that is what happens here is that it's, this, right. well, this is, that's the main idea of what does happen here. This is, uh, you know, two scientists who enjoy talking to people in the public, communicating with people, using the most efficient medium to do that. And uh, this has been a really great uh, experience that I could have never have predicted. And, and, Paul, you've been a wonderful addition. This has been a great thing. It's been my pleasure, Kevin, really. If we look back on this year, in this particular, in 2017, mm-hmm. and we... You know, examine the list that of of episodes that we've done. I mean, I look at it. I'm just amazed at how many mm. hours and t- how much how many people we've spoken to. But yeah. is there anything that really stands out in your mind as a interview that you really enjoyed? Well, yeah, there there are about five or six that popped out, and and maybe I'll get a chance to mention all of them on this program, or, or maybe not. But um, but I, I would say. Um, 
one of mine and one of yours, you know, just jump right out. And um, the one of mine is the the one with Cal- uh, Carol Mallory Smith from Oregon State University. She's a weed scientist and really was the one in the public uh, arena, at least, that documented a, um, a you know a valid case of of the flow of transgenes from the engineered crop into. Um, well, it, it, the engineered crop into the into the wild. In her case, it was uh, transgene flow was was occurring by a seed movement, and principally, if if not, and uh, uh, as I recall that episode. And, and I think what what's important about that episode is uh, just just to remind listeners if they're not familiar with the phrase or the term transgene, that refers to the an engineered gene that comes from outside the breeding pool. And so the crop she was working with was was. Uh, uh, creeping bentgrass experimentally that had been engineered for glyphosate tolerance, and she did document that that um, the spread of that genetic trait had occurred beyond what was designated to be the control area um, for that experimental uh, creeping bentgrass. What I think is important about that, Kevin, and I, I you know, I, we've we've talked about this, you and I, um, is it was an example where we we actually explored the uh, the concerns of uh, at least some genetically engineered crops, and that is the movement of, of uh, genes that are transgenes out from originally outside the breeding pool. There were no, uh, as far as I know, ecological impacts documented, um, but there are concerns about the flow of transgenes in, in creeping bentgrass, and especially as it might impact seed growers. And, and we put it on the program. And, and uh, so, you know, we're not, we're not sort of an echo chamber, I think was your the phrase you used when you and I um, talked about this episode. Now, it's a really important point is that it's been said online and in various places that this is simply just another uh, tool that is a PR arm of the agrochemical industry, you know, uh, you know, Fulta getting money under the table to do the podcast, which is really what's so hilarious about it. it in general, people have stayed away from the podcast, and so they'll go on Twitter and say stuff or whatever, if it, Facebook, um, other places, but they kind of left the podcast alone. They don't really go hmm. adding stuff to, like, the comments sections have been reasonably immune. Um mm-hmm. And that's I good think, to hear. Yeah, I think so. I, there's been a couple, but we, mm-hmm. but that's should be expected. I think uh, mm-hmm. um, some people just don't know better and they don't understand, and so they come there to try to understand. So maybe those are just honestly um, concerned mm-hmm. people who've been misdirected. Mm-hmm. But you know, you 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 had a program um, that that I think you you may want to mention uh, here in this. But uh, you know, another example of this, you know, how we we do what we we talk about what we think is important to talk about in this podcast series, and the dicamba situation. I mean, that was a perfect example of how, you know, here uh, we you, you you in this case talked about a very touchy issue, a uh, controversial issue that involves. Uh, major uh, seed companies and uh, chemical manufacturers, and, and not in a flattering way necessarily. Oh, sure, yeah. I mean, I always am excited to talk about this one because it was something that really has, and what was the most amazing thing to me was that when I was at this conference in St. Louis, that th- they were talking about the implications of the dicamba situation, which is where this uh, herbicide that they apply uh, in some cases because of various factors that may be because of the inherent properties of the chemical or because of the uh, way it's applied, can literally lift up out of the field in a vapor cloud of doom and go somewhere else and drop down into the field. And if that field is uh, conventional soybeans that don't have the transgene or glyphosate-resistant soybeans that don't have the dicamba resistance, or if it's a, a vineyard or peach orchard or whatever, that stuff is, shows symptoms of dicamba injury, which can do it yeah. at one two twenty thousandth of its uh, application rate. And uh, one of the things I thought was so amazing was that the the so much finger pointing from the industry and from farmers and people really not happy with the academics who would say, "Hey, here's what I can see and here's what I think." And uh, w- what are the implications on a bigger scale here? Because what it shows is. Wow, here's an unintended consequence. And this is what yeah. people who are against this technology fervently digging their heels about and say, ah, oh, this is what it is, you know. So here's an example where they're oops, they were right. And and mm-hmm. and the companies don't realize the problem that causes. Because now it makes everybody's job harder in explaining 
how this technology can work. And it's a way in which a consequence of applying an herbicide in Missouri now may very well stop a vitamin-enriched banana from yeah. saving someone's vision in Uganda. What a what a great connection. You know, I, I think for the listener's benefit, I, I want to say this as clearly as I can. You know, there's never any discussion between you and me uh, or emails or anything that that raise the question, oh, but what will the companies think? We we don't we don't consider that. We you know, we just present the best science we can on issues that we think are important to cover. And and so I wanted to say that as clearly as I can. Now, you've made a very interesting connection here, and that is the 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 unintended consequences of the dicamba situation can certainly be used by by those who are uh, skeptical of the of genetic engineering. It, the, this situation can be used to to uh, pile on and and criticize the, the 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 technology used to create the herbicide tolerant crop. And what is it, what the effect? I, it couldn't be any clearer, in my opinion, as well. I'm like you, very aware of. Uh, many of the public projects that are using genetic engineering in developing countries, you've done some wonderful programs on these, where y- these are these are traits that can help um, developing countries meet their food security and food sovereignty goals. Projects that have f- smallholder farmers and smallholder farm families in mind, and and people might say, but yeah, but what's the di- what's the connection between Uganda and and corn in the United States? You know, and and the the connection is, that in developing countries, they look to see public reaction to these new technologies, and if public reaction is negative, whether or not that is justifiable from the standpoint of the developing countries, they see Europeans, they see um, some Americans reject the technology, and they think, oh, we should too, you know, and so that's a, I, I, I'm glad you brought that up because that is for me one of the deep motivating factors to talk about the technology is to make sure that those countries that um, that might might have a public use for it that is, you know, it's a perfectly public project. It's not anything to do with Monsanto or Bayer or Syngenta or anybody, any other major corporation. And, uh, you know, and I, I'd, I'd like to see them use it if they think it fits for them in meeting their food sovereignty goals. Yeah, I mean that's really important. Hate the companies, I don't care. You know, but yeah. but if you really hate the company, try to be specific with your angst and <laughs> yeah. and try to, you know, you know, and they always say, you know, go march against Monsanto, whatever, I don't care. What it really is about is don't malign a technology that can help people. Because yeah. this is where the where in and being there in Uganda uh and those episodes were maybe 104, 105, 106. Um, the, they, those were amazing episodes to me because um, it was an opportunity to actually talk about what I was standing in and seeing the potential need and seeing the potential application, uh, both yeah. existing. And you have need and application separated by an eight-foot barbed wire fence with razor wire on it. Yeah. And if you think about how that affects you know, a scientist. I mean, you can imagine, I, you know how that would affect you, certainly. But I guess the listener has to kind of get in, in my head is, you know, here I am getting into this idea, this business, but also, you know, or into academic science, I should say. I say this business colloquially. In uh, academic science, with the idea of creating durable changes that can help people and um, seeing beautiful work being done, that's not my work. I, I see amazing stuff that other people are doing. And um, seeing it kind of dead on arrival because of a public opinion crisis and a lack of a freedom to operate in food security and food sovereignty. It has nothing to do with companies. And uh, mm-hmm. that's really one of the things I've discovered about this podcast is how it helps me articulate better that situation when mm-hmm. you have need that that. Is uh, is it just can't be met because of a public opinion thing? So if if you and I can change the minds or influence the decisions of a few dozen people a year, maybe a few hundred, a few thousand, um, that's a big step in the right direction. Because you know the the Institute for Responsible Technology and Food Inc. and all that stuff that's always there, 
and it's great for us to push back and push back honestly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so there was another program that um, that uh, you know I think I was rather proud of as well, or another podcast in this series this past year, and that was on no, that was number one eleven on on seed company consolidation, and we had Dr. Sylvie Bonny from Inra in France uh, speak on. Um, the, I think the title of her paper, actually, that she was focusing on was Corporate Concentration and Technological Change in the Global Seed Industry. And, and so, you know, again, that was a case where we used the podcast to explore a, um, a criticism of genetic engineering, and that is that, um, you know, it leads to this corporate con- uh, consolidation of, of uh, economic uh, influence with respect to seed um, um, you know the seeds and and uh, and even other chemical inputs and so on, and um, you know it's a it's a valid point. It's a valid concern. We uh, we explore it in my graduate course on genetic engineering. In fact, we in my graduate course series on genetic engineering, it's a one credit each semester online course. That that in that course we actually spend more time discussing um, the concerns and risks of genetic engineering and exploring those than we do on the benefits uh, just because i think our public as public scientists that's a responsibility we have to to do our very best to evaluate the downsides of technology as well as the benefits and so um so again there we there we were episode 111 on the podcast series um looking at the corporate concentration question and i think actually dr boni did a great job of of really sort of um uh, bringing both sides of the issue uh, to the podcast, and and it's also described in our paper. Yeah, maybe the uh, the other one that falls into that particular bin was uh, John Tucker, and uh, Dr. John Tucker's at uh, Penn State, and I met him years ago, and have followed his work, and he always has very precautionary, um, not on purpose, I don't think, but he he describes very well the kind of unanticipated off-target effects of this technology. And he talked about how BT, when you kill all the BT uh, beetles, how the things that beetles might eat or interact with in that ecological context now become problematic. And how Mm -hmm. BT that would kill beetles now has caused an outbreak of slugs. <laughs> and uh, oh yeah, yeah. So that was another good one that really says you know here's that you know there, nothing happens in a vacuum. We're all part of yeah. an ecology and all part of a of a bigger question. And that's another one that uh, and and he's got more too. So I got I have to get him on again in uh, 2018. Great, yeah, that'd be a good one. Yeah, cool. So one of the other big changes we had this last year were guest hosts and uh, other folks who came on aside from you and me. We think back to episode 102, which was uh, Lauren Benoit and uh, Sarah Shepard. Um, Lauren has been a friend and uh, someone who has uh, stepped into the conversation, and I hope to see both of them a whole bunch more. But we also had uh, episode 91, which was uh, Chris Barbie, who's actually my graduate student. Yeah, who, I remember. <laughs> we got to yeah, get, it was nice. Well, yeah. It was nice, and the best part about that one is he had our most high-profile guest probably of the year with uh, Rich Roberts, who Sir Richard Roberts, who uh-huh. is a Nobel Prize winner. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so start them, jump, jump into the, the deep end, you know. <laughs> yeah, and that's, that's uh, and, and uh, you know, you and I did that little bridge for the middle of the episode about, uh, you know, more people getting involved. And then we also had Dr. Johnny Dalzell, and uh, he contacted me from Northern Ireland and said, you know, hey, can I do, can, can I do a podcast? Can I host oh, one? Yeah. And uh, it came out nicely, too. So, so yeah. more of that in 2018. Good. Yeah. 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 In fact, so I give you a lot of credit for bringing in um, Chris and uh, and other guest hosts. It's really I think you're absolutely on target uh, to want to expand the the involvement of uh, people who want to give it a give it a try. And so listeners, um, I think Kevin is quite sincere about that. And, uh, you know, if you want to give it a try doing a podcast episode uh, on your own or in some portion, um, contact Kevin. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, and, and we can do a lot of work in post-production, and uh, it's pretty amazing. One of the ones coming up, I spent uh, probably a good six hours just correcting it to make it wow. s- to make it. Well, we well we'll talk about it maybe a little bit later, but uh, it actually was a live recording, and uh, and it well, I guess we always record them live, right? <laughs> We're not exactly. 
it was uh, it was done in a uh, busy place, side by side with the guests, and it, the between their voices and you know fading in and out in the background, it was it was a challenge. It had a motorcycle that's sitting out in front of the place, <laughs> idling, and so so. Long story short, it can take time, but we can make make anyone sound fantastic, except for except for me. <laughs> yeah. I just like I get a new voice. Um, are there any other episodes that really stood out in your mind? The things that you um, that you really were proud of, or the interviews yeah. that you really find memorable? Absolutely, uh, the, the, uh, for sure. Uh, uh, thanks for the opportunity to mention the uh, the uh, episode on restoring the American chestnut. Uh, we had Dr. Jared Westbrook from the American Chestnut Foundation as our guest, and he's the director of science, so he he is the leader on the breeding efforts to um, create American chestnuts that look like American chestnuts, but uh, are, you know, relatively resistant to chestnut blight. He's not doing genetic engineering. He's using conventional breeding with uh, Chinese chestnut as his source of resistance genes. And um, and so y- you had an episode, I believe, 10, Kevin, uh, Dr. William Powell, who's uh, doing work with a, a transgene uh, in, placed into uh, the American chestnut. And the gene is from, um, from uh, wheat. It's an uh, oxidate, oscil- uh, ox- oxidate, oxalate, um, oxalate oxidase. <laughs> yeah, easy for you to say. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, not so much. And, um, and so, so he has found that this single gene from wheat confers a rather high degree of resistance in American chestnut. But it's a genetic engineering approach. And what I loved about um, Dr. Westbrook's w- program was that he – he, he didn't see these as a, this uh, Dr. William Powell's approach with the transgenic approach from wheat. He didn't see that as threatening in any way to his program. In fact, he used the word complementary, and or one of us did somewhere in the program, and he he affirmed it. So, in other words, he he as a conventional breeder uh, sees great value in the genetic engineering approach to be used in in tandem with ultimately with the conventional breeding approach that he's taken. And and so I. I, I really appreciated his attitude, uh, you know, uh, and and uh, haven't forgotten it. So, yeah, what's really nice about that is that two things. One is that breeding chestnut trees has got to be one of the most um, ambitious <laughs> jobs because how many how many genetic cycles can you get in a career? Oh and, no, you know when you think about it, right? Because you got that takes a few years for that thing to flower. So yeah. you know you're not going to make a cross until 2023, and you, so that really amazes me. And the other yeah. cool thing is, is that uh, you know Jared used to be in my molecular biology class. I actually was his professor. Yeah, you mentioned that. Yeah, yeah. That, so that's kind of cool. He was always a really sharp guy when he was in yeah. our program, and it's awesome to see him land on his feet. And it's really fun that that you know you scheduled that i didn't say hey you should talk yep. to jared westbrook you know yeah. you, you arranged that and i saw oh, jared hey i know that guy <laughs> yeah. and, so, and and he, he also said something that surprised me it makes perfect sense but it, it's it's kind of the contrary of what we normally think in this area of genetic engineering normally we we pay we try to pay a lot of attention to the issue of transgene flow as i mentioned earlier and uh, he actually said we want transgene flow or he said basically he said we want outcrossing um you know so if if there ever is a day which which may be who knows in the next decade where the genetic engineering trait for american chestnut resistance to to the to the blight is introduced then he wants that trait to be outcrossed through pollen flow into as many american chestnut trees as possible to try to put that gene through natural gene flow into as wide a genetic base as possible. So he actually wants transgene flow in contrast to the situation in uh, Oregon where the uh, seed growers are very nervous about the transgene flow in creeping bentgrass, and rightfully so. Um, but in the American chestnut, they're, they're looking forward to natural uh, outcrossing through and, and the subsequent transgene flow. And I think so. if I had a, a favorite episode of the year, it had to be a uh, number 77, and that was sitting mm-hmm. with uh, Dr. Dwayne Mitchell. And the idea of cancer immunotherapy, especially with these targeted engineered viruses that go after things like glioblastoma, uh, these insidious brain diseases that are that were previously more or less a death sentence or profound 
um, therapy or you know really uh, invasive therapies. These new methods uh, seem to be working in a lot of cases, and what they're doing is using genetic engineering to turn viruses into um, uh, centuries that go in and actually attack the cells and, and destroy them. And uh, Dr. Mitchell is really amazing. Dr. Mitchell's here at University of Florida. Uh, is one of these cases where I got to walk across campus and talk across a desk with somebody. Mm. Yeah. And you know when you go when I when I was going into the door I was really hesitant because I thought you know here's this guy who's the uh, leader of this brain institute and he's you know you know but he was the nicest guy I ever met and not just really nice and accommodating he was an outstanding guest and mm-hmm. his ability to communicate the science so he he had he had all of the above he had outstanding science. And a, and a really exciting science, but a beautiful way to communicate it. And if anyone ever is looking for, well, which one should I listen to? I really recommend episode 77. Uh, Dr. Yeah. Mitchell was an all-star, and I really hope to get him back on in 2018. Yeah, yeah, you're, you definitely uh, trend towards uh, bringing in the medical uh, applications, which is an area that I don't have enough experience with. When I was at a... a uh, conference in berkeley california this past august it, it was it was it was a wonderful conference on crispr potential and and uh and you know concerns and i met uh mr shakir cannon and uh he is an african-american um who is the co-founder of minority coalition for precision medicine and he's about i'd say in his early 30s and he's um and that's important, in a, in, as you'll see in a minute. He he's uh, an advocate, an ad- activist for um, the the use and, and, and the use of the most advanced um, medical technologies for minorities, as well as for those of us who are uh, populate, um, you know, the the larger uh, racial classes. And and he's at one point in the in the program. He's, as a speaker, he turned to some of the researchers and he said, hurry up. He said, hurry up. I'm a, he, and he went on to describe that he was a, um, a uh, sickle cell anemia patient. And so for him, this is very personal, um, you know, that the, the use of CRISPR technologies as an example might be the fastest path to a full, long and full life for him. Um, and a life without the pain that he often experiences as a, as a patient uh, of this disease. So, um, yeah, it, it, the medical world is chock full of genetic engineering applications. Uh, so it's great that you bring those into the, into the podcast, Kevin. Hi, everybody, and thanks for listening to the podcast. In episode 118, we tried something new. First, live streaming the podcast on Facebook Live while recording the final product for the podcast. This all goes live on January 20th with the live stream already online. I talked about pet vaccination and pet food with two outstanding veterinarians, and it was a great conversation. The advantage of doing it live is that we can take questions in real time. And the next live stream will be on January 7, 2018 from the American Farm Bureau meeting in Nashville, Tennessee. Now, I don't know the topic, I don't know the guest, but there's many notables at this meeting and it promises to be a lot of fun. So watch the Talking Biotech Twitter feed and watch my professional Facebook page, which is facebook.com forward slash KMFolta on January 6th. Details will be provided at that time. It's really a lot of fun to field the questions on the fly. And it's great to enjoy another level of active engagement with this audience. It's another way to say thank you and add another new dimension as this audience continues to grow. Now back to the podcast. Yeah, I think in 2018 we're going to talk about some of the hybrid receptors that have been designed especially against bloodborne disease. Um, when you talk about issues like sickle cell and issues like uh, leukemia, you actually do have a, a target that is uh, resident where you can actually do the real therapy. You can't replace somebody's brain or somebody's liver without a transplant, but you can do significant change in blood because you yeah. can add new stem cells that have been reprogrammed to take on a job. 
And some of the more interesting things have come from CRISPR-Cas9, or I should just say gene editing, of, mm-hmm. um, of antigenic markers off of cell surfaces to create a generic cell type that can now be modified with a, uh, a receptor that can precisely find a protein on a white blood cell that is gone malignant. So it allows mm-hmm. scientists to create these uh, very precise target, very precise tools that can attack the cancer and are not immunologically reactive. So you're not triggering the immune response in the patient while they're getting the therapy. And it's a mm-hmm. huge step forward and uh, a place where we've all, where there are children alive today walking on the face of this planet who are alive because of this technology. And mm-hmm. uh, we're going to do a whole lot more of that in 2018. Mm, wonderful. Yeah, I look forward to it. Yeah, you mentioned... Uh, you started the discussion on uh, kind of where we might be going here in the next year in the podcast, and uh, there are a couple things that certainly I've I've given some thought to. And um, one is uh, actually at the request of a listener, we uh, we're we're going to have a, a couple like a two part series. Um, I arranged for Fred Gould uh, to talk about uh, gene drives. Fred is an entomologist from NC State, the North Carolina State University, and uh, is has a great knowledge on gene drives but is distant enough that i think we can count on a um you know a a very objective evaluation of of the biology of gene drives and uh if you don't know what gene drives are um it is a uh i don't know how to say it in a a sense i guess but it's it's um it's a genetic um trait that actually occurs in nature uh that um has uh, non-mendelian inheritance and actually you know actually is inherited um, more more uh, rapidly than the normal 50 percent um, you know of genes that 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 um, are inherited normally um, and also uh, included in that so he's going to Fred is going to talk about the biology of gene drives and 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 Jennifer Kuzma has been suggested she's Fred's colleague so I think um, Fred can maybe half volunteer her uh jennifer kuzma <laughs> from <laughs> from uh north, north carolina state will will um, participate as well hopefully as as a uh, as a guest and she and she is i believe the director of the genetic engineering and society center at nc state university so she i'm going to ask her to bring in consideration of the social uh and ethical uh, questions that uh, surround gene drives. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, that's one of the things I'd hope to do next year. Now, that's really exciting because she she can uh, she'll be a good person to talk to on these things. Uh, she brings to light a lot of the uh, sociological edges of these issues. The people mm-hmm. I'm excited to talk to, I got a couple that I'm really stoked about. Um, I want to talk to Jennifer Raff, and uh, Dr. Raff is a is a, a genetic. Uh, anthropologist or genomic anthropologist uh, mm. out of uh, Kansas. Oh no, Kansas State. Yeah, no, no, mm. not not the one in Manhattan. The other one. Uh, oh, University, <laughs> University, of Kansas. University of Kansas in Lawrence. I'm sorry. You know, it, it, and, and I cringe every time someone goes Florida State University of Florida, which was which. You know, uh, it, but she's from she's from University of uh, Kansas. And uh, she's fantastic. And she's been on the PRISM podcast, which is one of my favorite podcasts with Grant Ritchie. Um, She uh, does a great job at talking about what is race. And is this concept of race really supported, or at least the buckets that we put people into? Are they? Yeah. Is it really supported by genetics? And what you find is that um, there are more genetic differences that group us than there are phenotypic differences that that group us and so our uh, our races really uh, are rather ethereal relative to the hardwired mm. blueprints that we all carry yeah. and the other one is one that i recorded a few years ago um probably back in the first year i did the podcast was dr harry paris and dr harry yeah. paris talked about the uh domestication of pumpkins and I always wanted uh-huh. it for a Halloween episode. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, uh, but uh, Dr. Paris, I talked to him from uh, Israel, where he was, and we had a connection that every, as we would speak, or as he would speak, you would hear kind of this increasing, 
in the yeah. background. And it would start out kind of quiet, and then as he would go on, it would get louder and louder and louder, and it just became, I could not clean that out. Um, yeah. And it was a beautiful interview that talked about some of the cool parts about pumpkin domestication, where you where uh, early domesticators used to carry it like uh, like um, uh, beef jerky, like you'd make pumpkin jerky by drying the pumpkin guts out in the sun, and you'd eat that. And uh, yeah. it sounded, you know, it, it sounds kind of horrific for Halloween, <laughs> but <laughs> but but it was. But there are some very interesting stories about um, where these things were domesticated and how they radiated throughout the world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. W- w- one of the ones that's kind of on my to-do list here is uh, for the upcoming year is uh, transposons, jumping genes, and and honestly. Honestly, they, they just fascinate me that there are these, um, for lack of a better term, genetic parasites that are quite common in plants. And, uh, and you know, I mean, we, we rightfully ask a lot of questions about stability of, of genetically engineered traits and the mobility of such. You know, I think these are important questions. And out there in nature, we've got this stuff going on, just wild and crazy genetic changes um, jumping genes. I mean, and so I, I'm looking forward to having at least one guest come on the podcast and explain what these are. I, I know Kevin, somebody with your background, probably has has you know has long-standing knowledge about these things. But I have just been fascinated by them, and uh, look forward to having at least one guest tell us what they are and you know what they do. <laughs> That's a great idea. I know that there's. That it really does help let the air out of the balloon a lot of a lot of the concerns that people express about genetic engineering, such as, well, well, what if the gene you introduce drops right in the middle of something else? That yeah. you know, to me, that's not a concern because in a, in a in a genome where seventy five percent of it, like corn, is yeah. uh, is is transposable elements and other stuff, um, many times mobile elements. Uh, we know of many examples of plant genes that have come about and plant traits that have come about, such as the round shape versus oval shape of tomatoes, is controlled because of a piece of DNA that got up from one part in the uh, genome, jumped out of the chromosome, and then sat down someplace else. And yeah. the resulting fruit was funny shape. That's work done by Esther Vandernap, and uh, she was been uh, she was at Ohio State now at University of Georgia. And she does fantastic work, and um, she may be a really good uh, interview on tomatoes, but could be somebody who could at least touch on some of the ramifications of a jumping gene. Yeah, well, that would be that'd be a great that's a great idea. I I think I've like you. I I think well, I I didn't understand just how wild and crazy nature is uh, with genetics in the in the in the world we live in. I didn't understand that until. Um, you know, I got into this topic and, uh, you know, studied not only genetic engineering in depth, but also um, related subjects like jumping genes and horizontal gene transfer and all these other crazy things that nature does with genes. And and, and I agree, the more I study nature and the more I study conventional breeding, the more I realize that genetic engineering is, is, is really just part of the mix here. It's not anything, you know, intrinsically um, distinct. That and I know some listeners may have some questions about that or challenges, but it really just—it's just another way of moving chemical information, and um, you know, in, in in a targeted way, actually. So, so I think um, you know I could make a pretty good argument that uh, the wild and crazy and un, un, uncontrolled things that nature does um, really could pose a greater risk than genetic engineering. So it's food for thought, something to think about. That's very true, and and I think if you go back, and that's another thing that what. More, I'd like to have more of these episodes on. You know, plant domestication is kind of my hobby. Um, uh-huh. <laughs> you know, some <laughs> some guys who are in their fifties, you know, have other hobbies, things that they do. You know, they they travel, they sure. you know, <laughs> do woodworking. <laughs> yeah, maybe you know, build ships and bottles or something. Um, my my interest is to talk, read about domestication and when nice. what what are the things that humans did uh, accidentally uh, to bring plants into their care. And one of the some of the things that are so exciting, and some of the things I love to talk about, are the genomics and genetic basis of those traits, major traits, things like seed shattering. Um, that one of the domestication traits that you see, and I love these stories, where 
in sorghum in Africa. Um, sorghum was domesticated in at least three different places because it was a really oh. important crop. Um, okay. Maybe in West Africa, East Africa, and South Africa, and um, or su- Southern Africa on the continent. And when you use molecular biology to go back and look at these land races that people would save and cultivate, you find that one of the same traits they have is that they all retain the seeds on the seed head. They don't just fall off, which is you know a trait that you'd obviously want. It turns out that all three major land races have mutations in exactly the same gene, but different mutations. Different mutations. So mm-hmm. three separate groups of people, or three different mm-hmm. breeders, for lack of a better term, selected the same trait with mutations in the same gene. Three different yeah. genetic engineers who made the same sort of genetic engineering change just by breeding and selection. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and what's interesting, you know, many many nuances in 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 every everything we we talk about on the podcast, including the domestication issue, and and so one of the things that I hear in what you just said is, you know, you're sort of normalizing mutation. For biologists, maybe maybe we sort of take it for granted that everybody understands that mutation is is can be good or it can be bad. <laughs> you know, it really depends on the mutation or neither where it is or or neither. It could be neutral. Um, and so, you know, the cases of domestication all depended, as you, as you described, on a mutation that, because of the humans that, that found it useful, that mutation, they went on to select those those mutants. And, and so, uh, you know, that's that's a point that sometimes comes up in a, you know, public talk is, is for, for me to make sure people understand that mutation isn't bad, it, it isn't good, it, it may be neutral, but it is, it just is, and it's just in the context that... You know, that becomes useful or, or harmful, and that's true across the board, whether it's genetic engineering or, or any other um, uh, process that leads to uh, a new genetic trait. Well, one of the other things that I really thought was great about the last year was we didn't strictly stick to the uh, scientific interviews. That we did have some interviews where we brought in people to discuss either the communication side or potentially the media um, in. Uh, around the science. And so we go back to way back in January when I spoke to Jay Bayer. And Jay is a, I'm a huge fan of Jay. He uh, wrote the book, Hug Your Haters. And his interview was an excellent one to listen to, mm-hmm. uh, to learn how to be better at communicating with each other. Sure. And yeah. then uh, good, good stuff. that was a good one. And then um, we also had interviews with two of the groups that have done documentaries. So uh, episode 88 was an interview with uh, Scott Hamilton Kennedy and Trey Sheehan uh, with Allison Van Eenenem. We talked about the movie Food Evolution and some of the mm-hmm. criticism that came up, which was pretty sad, um, the criticism that was happening around what was a pretty good movie. And then um, uh, No GMO, K-N-O-W, by Nick Syke. Nick's had this project going on for a few years. He's got some great vignettes online, but I talked to him on episode 86. And then we also had Science Moms, which was Natalie Newell. This was uh, um, episode 113. Yeah, it's just uh, recently. Yeah, yeah, recently. And Natalie was, uh, that was one of my favorite interviews of the year, too, because uh, it was was the amount of um, heat online that they get. So, and this is what's so amazing. Mm-hmm. Here you have uh, Food Evolution, which is a which is a, a factual science-based film and then some emotional edges that people in some places like um or University of California Berkeley wrote this long letter saying that this was propaganda, you know, from the from the PR firms of the big companies, yeah. you know. And uh, and the same thing happened with um Science Moms. And here, new it's great to see people creating science media, and great to see that becoming influential. But it's it's still unfortunate that there are people out there who will take art and someone's hard work and someone's good work and trash it as being part of, uh, you know, an, another leg of the agrochemical conspiracy. You know, it it, it just keeps coming up. So, yeah. and that's just an interesting dynamic of of watching people create art in that space. Yeah, I so I give you a lot of credit because I know uh, in some of these instances you've reached out and invited critics. Uh, may, maybe this is true for the Berkeley uh, letter, but um, I think it is. But um, but you've reached out to critics and said, "Look, come on the program, come on the podcast. Let's have a conversation." And uh, so far, uh, I don't recall any any uh, anyone accepting that. But that's I, I give you a lot of credit for making the offer. So. No, I, I tried really hard, especially after that 
uh, film came out and they were being so critical. Because I also, you know, aside from being a scientist, I've also been very interested in communication and I know what propaganda is and I know how people use propaganda. That is not propaganda. Mm -hmm. And I wanted people to come on the podcast and I wanted to talk to, uh, you know, the the folks at Berkeley and uh, the others around the country who signed on to that and said that this is propaganda. And I wanted to say, tell me what propaganda is. What is your definition of propaganda? Now, how does this meet that definition? And all of them were backed into a corner. They're, um, uh, they would not come on the podcast. I lost a lot of respect for, for some of these people who, you know, at least were very well regarded as scientists. But to dig in their heels as people who are going to take on this ideological mantle and run with it, even if it's not consistent with science. Mm-hmm. So that was, I do hope maybe they'll have a change of heart. They're always yeah. welcome on, as, as is anybody. I mean, I would be thrilled to talk to Seralini. I'd be t- thrilled to talk to anybody who feels this technology is is um, inappropriate. I would say, yeah. you, you're welcome. Come talk to me and change my mind. Give me your evidence. Yeah, yeah good. Well, well done, Kevin. I, I really uh, thank you for that attitude, and uh, it just inspires me to continue to do the best job I can with these these podcasts. So uh, yeah, I've 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 covered the the primary ones there's, that I wanted to mention. Um, there's many good pro, uh, podcasts out there from the year. Uh, Jonathan Jones, I mean, I, I worked with him and and others. Um, but uh, you know, if listeners, take a look at the, the 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 website and choose the ones you're interested in. Yeah, you know, it's uh, it, it it there were so many good ones that we didn't talk about today that I was really wanting to dive in with. There's uh, the ones that I know that uh, really moved me emotionally. I can think mm-hmm. of those because and and people who know me know that I'm I'm kind of a kind of a uh, kind of easy to get me emotionally stirred, but mm-hmm. particularly in this area um, because of when I see technology that can help people that's paralyzed, it really bothers me a lot. But then after what I've endured personally to because of the fact that I get out and talk about it, um, some of the stuff which has really affected me in a, in a really bad way. Um, yeah. But um, but to be able to um, uh, see people like Christine Latin, Dr. Latin, who is the postdoc who was criticized because of her research, where PETA was on her, um, I wanted mm-hmm. to help her find some relief by popularizing her case and the battles that she's up against. And that was episode 95. And I remember um, breaking down in the middle of that because I don't want anyone to go through what I went through. I don't think it's breaking down. I think it's humanizing us. And I appreciate your willingness to share um, your, you know, who you, who you are on the podcast. And so um, we scientists um, are human and uh, it's easy for us to stay in the left brain. That's where we're paid to be. <laughs> but but we're uh, but we are uh, humans, and I think anything we can do to humanize ourselves and let uh, let others see our humanity is actually strengthens our um, capacity as communicators. Yeah, I agree. I mean, the other place that it happened was episode one hundred and five when I was actually standing on the porch of a friend's home in Uganda um, overseeing his banana farm, his, his his garden. And we had a broken down truck and warm beer and uh, <laughs> I had to be really far away in a short time and basically uh, to be in D.C. the next morning. And uh, I basically thought, you know, th- this... And so I took out my phone and we had an interview. And uh-huh. um, to talk to him and listen to the passion of his voice saying yeah. you know the people of my country want te- te- want solutions and we have solutions we can't use you know yeah. it is so hard to to be in that place and see that happening and yeah. listen to a man who for the love of the people he's around surrounded with and his country and his country's food security mm-hmm. wants technology that uh, there was no way to implement that was a tough moment, and uh, mm-hmm. and uh, that's another one that was on episode 105. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's great. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Uh, so just to recap, a couple of really kind of rapid fire, a couple of the things that I would really like to point out to listeners, if you're new to the podcast and you're looking for something to try to uh, 
build your understanding. I think there's two great episodes from the last year, uh, episode 74 and episode recent episode 114, which deal with ways in which RNAi technology or this small RNA technology is being used to combat the problem of aflatoxin. Yes. And aflatoxin in corn and peanut are massive problems. And, um, and that was one of the things I didn't appreciate. When I listened to it, and it was um, uh, um, Monica Schmidt and Dalip Shah were the two who I spoke to. And it turns out that there are something like at least a billion people a year, or a billion people, not just a year, a billion people, mm-hmm. who are chronically um, exposed to aflatoxin, one of the most potent carcinogens. And how and, and principally in the developing countries. Yes, principally in developing countries. I think uh, you know Dr. Shaw when I spoke to him. I think he said five billion, and I guess that could be true. You know, in places like uh, the U.S. and North America and Europe, you have very strict monitoring for this stuff, and you don't get much exposure. But I guess I can imagine that can be right. But this is a um, a very potent carcinogen that leads to yeah. liver cancer, and uh, th- those are great ones to understand because those are those are examples where this technology could go today and could be implemented, but is not. Yeah, and and in contrast to the general um, assumption that that genetic engineering creates harmful plants, in fact, uh, not only are they as safe as any other. Uh, in the other crops, genetic engineering, I know you know this, Kevin, but for the listeners, genetic engineering uh, can be used to make crops safer. And and the aflatoxin story is a really good one, really important. As a plant pathologist, I, I always go to that because in, in public talks because if, if you want one or two things that really kind of override the concerns of, of um, you know, that this is all about transnational corporations and all you find you can you can talk about these cases in developing countries where developing country scientists are doing the work in their own way to to address for what for them is a very important problem and so yeah that those those are excellent episodes on aflatoxin yeah so do you have anything already uh recorded for 2018 or are there other ones you would that you're planning to uh, reach out to Actually, Allison Van Eeningham, the, uh, the the marvelous uh, animal scientist at uh, the University of California, I believe at Davis, yep. um, she's she's uh, recorded and uh, so in the queue, along with some others I know you've got. Uh, but then uh, I'm looking forward to doing, um, uh, you know, episodes on uh, gene drives and transposons. And I've, geez, I've got about a dozen topics I'd like to cover. Uh, we'll get to them all, <laughs> but not, but in their own time. Well, I'll give you, I'll tease a few things here myself. Sure. Um, I know that I have uh, a couple in the box that are fantastic. Um, I spoke with Dr. Maxine Thompson, and Dr. Maxine Thompson is a 91-year-old plant wow. breeder, and she talked to me just about her excitement in plant breeding, um, uh, the Hascap berry, and that one's coming up in January, but also she talked about her challenges as being a woman uh, in science back in the 1960s. Mm-hmm. And, uh, man, it's a very powerful episode. Wonderful. Uh, I had a great conversation with two veterinarians with uh, <laughs> about about pet food and about pet vaccines and mm-hmm. uh, just debunking myths. And it was uh, we did it live. We had a great time together. That one's coming up, too. And uh, they're right. both friends here locally, too. So it was a really, really good episode. And I'm going to do a whole lot more in the medical area. Um, mm-hmm. I, I would be excited to have other folks back on again who we've spoken to before. I think Allison, you mentioned Allison Van Eenenem. She was yeah. on, uh, I think that was probably her fourth time on the podcast. Yeah, and uh, well, she's got that. She's got that much to share. So um, yeah, oh, she's surprised. fantastic. Allison's my yeah. favorite person out, in terms of out speaking about science. I could watch mm-hmm. her all day. The other um, things that are coming up, we're doing a live podcast from American Farm Bureau that we actually the live stream we're going to do a live feed of this so you'll be able to watch it recorded live um, through Facebook which will be over on uh, my professional Facebook page at Facebook forward slash KM Fulta that'll be happening on the uh, 7th of January and so you'll be able to see the podcast recorded and then be able to listen to it later and uh, I don't know who the guest is yet or the guests are yet, but there are uh, but promises to be very exciting from the American Farm Bureau meeting in uh, Nashville, Tennessee, 
and a lot, a whole lot more medical stuff. Uh, like to go back and we're going to continue the discussion of glyphosate. We're going to continue the discussion of dicamba and all the associated inputs with genetically engineered crops. Wonderful. Yeah, it sounds great. I, I'm ready, you know, with, at the dial waiting to hear all these. <laughs> yeah, and, and me too. I'm excited to be able to record them. And uh, it's one of these things where people say, you know, how do you have time to do this? How do you have time to uh, record these episodes? And I go, oh, record it. That's nothing. It's when you have to sit down and, you know, ed- yeah. and edit and uh, fit it into the, you know, intro and outro and uh, yes. develop a website. Uh, it's a, and popularize it on Twitter and using social media. It yeah. is um, seriously a five-hour-a-week job, which yeah. doesn't sound like much, but when you're already working 110 hours a week. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah you've, got a, you've got a research lab, and you're the chair of the Department of Horticulture at uh, the University of Florida. So, yeah, five hours to me seems like a lot. And I'm kind of – I've, uh, I've got a – I'm secretly glad that I that, that has taken care for me because uh, it, it's a lot of work. So thanks, thanks for doing that. And and I know you've said this on the program before, but others should hear and make sure they know it. This is something you do on a voluntary basis. There's no uh, external funding and of of any any sort, uh, either directly to you or to the University of Florida for this. This is just something you do out of your own hide, out of your own pocket. And uh, so thanks for doing it. Oh, thanks. You know, my pleasure. This is, you know, again, this is my ship in a bottle, right? And the idea of, um, <laughs> you know, this is this is my midlife crisis. You know, some guys get a girlfriend or go buy a Porsche. I, you know, I, I do a podcast. And yeah. uh, the, but the beauty part of this is is that it is uh, completely separate from my work. You know, at, at the university, uh, and it's good to have that separation. You know, that you can. Uh, you know, and and it makes sense because my university work doesn't really uh, deal with this particular topic, you know, directly per se. Anyway, I mean, I'm a I'm a scientist that has to understand what these things are, but um, for the most part, these the people in the specifics are something that I, I study, you know, all the time. And, uh, and the other really important part about this particular. Uh, podcast is i think in the next year we're going to try to do some more a lot more of that live streaming try to do more with video that accompanies it and uh try to take this thing that's doing well and actually make it bigger and there's and the the idea of funding um they actually have been approached by advertisers that say that i could probably do something like six hundred dollars a month in income which is you know that's not trivial you're talking about seventy two hundred bucks a year for um advertising and other types of support for the podcast and i think well with 7200 bucks a year i could hire a producer i could hire a um website person you know but at the same time i see the optics of having to have a commercial on for even something like 23 and me or whatever would be uh there's people who would then point the finger and talk about how it's influencing content and i don't even want that in the conversation yeah and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm hoping someday, actually, the public funds, maybe through the University of Florida, would be uh, possible so you don't have to do quite so much out of your own hide, you know, and I mean your time, your personal time. But uh, but for right now, you, yeah, it's it's totally on, on, you, on you and you're doing it voluntarily and, and uh, it's, you know, thanks. <laughs> yeah, no, no problem. And thank you for being part of this. You know, your episodes are my favorite ones. <laughs> <laughs> I can't stand listening to myself. Uh, you know, it's one of those things where you know you you sit there. And go, oh God, that guy! I can't you know, I listen to myself. I just it drives me crazy. Yeah, whose but voice is that? no, I can't stand the way I sound on 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 the podcast. But you know, um, but it's really great to listen to you and the guests that you have on. And uh, for me, when I listen to the final episode, it's always um, the second time I've heard it because I had to glue it together sure. in the in the pre production or the post production. Yeah. So, uh, but um, they're always really good and. And I'm, you know, I'm excited to have you do a whole bunch more in 2018 and really excited for any listeners that want to become yes. part of the enterprise, you know, reach out and, and uh, let me know. And, you know, as Paul said before, you know, we can uh, hold your hand through the process. And uh, so please reach out and uh, we'll have a great 2018. So I guess with that, Paul, I guess we're kind of done with 2017. And, uh, I think we'll, so. <laughs> and <laughs> but I, but it's really great is I think you can go back and look at this body of work 
And uh, what's really cool, and we talked about this a little bit off the air when we talked about um, downloads, download numbers, is we're creating a durable commodity here. If a story comes up about coffee or papayas or tomatoes, we have something in the queue that we can refer people back to to say, hey, here's where this was covered. And it's kind of like we're slowly writing a web-based textbook on genetic Mm. engineering and its application, Mm. chapter by chapter, every week coming up with some new information that's becoming a durable piece of of the scientific media. And nice. and it's really it's really becoming something, and I'm really glad you're part of it. So thank you so much for doing this with me, Paul. A pleasure, Kevin, as always. Thank you. Well, thank you, and thank you to everybody who listens. And be sure to tell a friend, write a review on iTunes. Um, this is the Talking Biotech Podcast, and next time we talk to you, it'll be 2018. Thank you very much for listening, and we'll talk to you then. Thank you for listening to the Talking Biotech Podcast. Please send your suggestions for guests, comments, or questions to talkingbiotech at gmail.com. Please write a review on iTunes and recommend this podcast to a friend. More downloads and reviews raise the visibility of this podcast and help us reach a wider audience with science. You've been listening to Talking Biotech, sponsored by Calabra, the platform that bridges the gap between siloed research tools. With Calabra's electronic lab notebook, scientists can work together in real time, sharing data and insights with ease. Revolutionize your research collaboration. Sign up for a demo today at calabra.app, C-O-L-A-B-R-A dot A-P-P.